Just as a warning, this episode may have some content that may be deemed inappropriate for younger viewers, so with that, viewer discretion is advised. Hello, Spookies, and welcome to another episode of D.L. Holmes Presents. You know, Dune just came out recently, so love the quote. Fear is the mind killer, but there is so many other emotions that can destroy one's mind. Loneliness, for instance. It was Lovecraft who, as you all know, I'm a fan, who spoke of the uh, the power of the fear of the unknown, but sometimes fear of the known is scarier. That, that resolute conviction that this is what things are. And they're never going to change. And that can be all-consuming and frightening all amongst itself. And if you had resigned yourself to a certain type of fate, and not because of low self-esteem or anything, but just because karma, nirvana, not being reached, you just got bad luck, or your general outlook on things and how things always happen is literally just an all ways happens kind of thing and you just came to accept the futility of trying to do anything different what kind of event you think could lead you to being there well let's see explore that a little bit in today's story or tonight whenever you're listening uh tale i call my hero A bad day can kill you. That's why being nice can be one of the best things you can do. In life, you never know how an act of kindness can affect someone and change their life. Maybe even save it. Brandon was a nice enough guy. Maybe even a complete pushover depending on who you asked. So, 26 years old, in a loft apartment in the state with summers too hot to warrant leaving air conditioning and winners that northern folks would consider to be a joke. He stood in front of his bathroom mirror, hopelessness in his eyes and defeat in his posture. He tried tender, bumble, something with a bear, and something else with a little anime girl that had paid subscription that made him regret not getting another case of ramen from the grocer. He'd have a few half-hearted conversations and eventually expand his search area beyond what anyone would be willing to drive before deleting the app and spiraling into another depression. It wasn't always like this. Manic and anxious. Awkward at conversations and craving companionship. But at some point after graduating college and getting a standard 9 to 5, giving him the adequate level of comfort one could wish for in their mid-twenties, he'd begun to feel a bit empty. Maybe it was the massive wall of Blu-rays that made him yearn for someone to recite dialogue with or share inside jokes. Or maybe it was the dusty collection of vinyls he collected and lost the ear and enthusiasm for when he'd find himself wishing he had someone to discuss the lyrics with at 4 a.m. Whatever it was, he was lonely. And it was eating away at him, like termites against the worn and wooden structures of the emotional bearings that supported his heart. He looked down at his phone to see the text message with the picture attached showing him where he would be meeting the intern that left the note in his locker. 
Going with the intrusive but honest phrasing that spawned the week-long courtship that led up to this night. Are you lonely? So am I. Kick me. Spiders living inside. Liv was spelled L-I-V, which was the abbreviation of her name, Olivia. He found that out after downloading the app he'd never heard of before to message her as he was the first woman to approach him since his ex over three years ago. Somehow he felt cursed by her final words to him. You're a miserable fucking bastard and I can't stand to look at you and constantly see what's wrong with me. No one can live with that. For three years those words echoed in his mind. Each lonely night he wondered if maybe it was some misplaced sense of self-righteousness that brought about the state of misery. What he existed in now was a new normal. Everyone cheats, right? Who was he to think he was any different from anyone else that he wouldn't be cheated on? Who was he not to forgive her for doing something everyone else does? Especially when it was probably his fault anyway. These are the thoughts that played Brandon through the night and the later part of his days, and even now on his long drive to the riverfront for an afternoon picnic with a girl he barely knew. He couldn't keep his mind traveling to that same dark void of thought, because honestly, whoever really knows anyone? This stranger he was meeting now, if things were to work out, if things were to progress to a relationship, if they were to share fluids and memories and a habitual living space, two months, two years from now, they'd still be sort of strangers. And that made him almost want to hit the brakes, bust a Yui, and drive back to his apartment to be miserable alone in his room, where the only things hurting him were his low self-esteem and inability to let go of the past. He pulled up next to an old abandoned theater that was in the corner of the photo that let him know exactly where to go. An old urban legend surrounded that place. Kids Satanist wannabes that knocked over a candle or something causing the whole place to go up and claimed the lines of a midnight movie release attendee. Some say the bodies were so burned that they didn't recognize half the victims or even find them all. Tragedy it was. Across the street along the river became a place to take a date and tell whatever made up version of that story you knew to Try to get the third base with your weekend wife or husband to miss the tall grass. It was there that he saw her. Barely five feet tall in a floral print sundress that caught her curves which went unnoticed in her office outfits. And also made her butterscotch complexion pick up what street light and starshine lit the road he was crossing. He thought this was an odd choice for a first date. Secluded in a way. No food, and not much for entertainment except conversation. Brandon doubted she would get as much enjoyment. Looking upon his goodwill button-up and cargo pants, thrown on five-foot-five, slender-at-best, light-skinned, blotchy complexion, with five o'clock shadow. Not as much as he would get looking at her, anyway. Still, he spoke, and she seemed to listen and smile throwing the occasional phrase showcasing her subtle and offbeat humor that reminded him of the awkward best friend he pretended to love more than the leading ladies in his favorite romantic comedies. He didn't watch TV, and neither did she. She didn't have one. She didn't drive. From further discussion, he discovered she'd already left a job as it was not really something she saw as being long-term, which he understood. Sometimes he questioned himself if this is a career or just a job. They found themselves along the edge of the Red River. 
not quite dangerously close, but close enough to make him a bit uneasy, as the undercurrent was too strong to swim in, and he wasn't a great swimmer to begin with. She could easily read his discomfort and giggled, causing Brandon to hide his face in his sleeves. I'm surprised she just came like this, she said, moving her bare feet along the wet ground. Brandon had just noticed the dirty heels, and then realized that she hadn't been wearing shoes this whole time. He didn't know that she was so free-spirited. Then again, he didn't really know her that well at all. She caught him looking and smiled, her brown hair framing the sides of her face, which was hard to see to begin with, as they left the comfort of the streetlights to speak a bit more intimately. Yeah, stars don't shine here, she said, almost picking the words straight out of his head. And we aren't going back to your couch to make out either, Brandon. He was stunned. He paused for a moment and looked at her, her features completely cloaked by darkness. Her sundress wasn't even exuding the same colors anymore. Her, the earth, and the water were all the same shade, and the nauseating feeling that brought him made it hard for him to breathe. It's sad, really. I almost feel like I should at least kiss you, you know? I would have, but these rituals are really specific and timing and all. And I really did have a nice time talking to you, she said, as the nausea took him further. He noticed he couldn't move the right side of his body. And as he tried to get up to leave, he simply shuddered and collapsed to his side. He heard the sound of earth move beneath her feet as she approached and lay beside him, showing him the needle. My nails aren't that long, Brandon. But don't worry, that's the most pain you'll feel today. Strong paralytic. She said with confidence, letting him know that this wasn't her first time doing this. Brandon focused on his breathing as Liv pulled her dress up past her thigh, revealing an ornate dagger strapped to it, which she quickly removed. She looked at him with a smile as his panicked breathing became the only sound that filled the air. Main reason you weren't getting to third base tonight, she chuckled. Tears welled up in Brandon's eyes. For a moment, her face softened as she brushed some of his hair out of his face. I do like you, Brandon. I really do. It's just the guy from last week didn't work out and I'm low on time, so. Her eyes were dark and for a moment they shone with a bright light that was almost radiant and then that light faded. Liv could read his thoughts but couldn't move fast enough as Brandon put out the fountain pen from his left pocket and with what strength he had, jammed it into the side of her neck. Her body fell next to his and he watched the rest of her life fade from her eyes. Soft, beautiful almond eyes, he thought. He thought about how he looked into those eyes and wanted that maybe if this night ended just right, he wanted to kiss her. And now, now even with the knife between them that she meant to put into him, just moments ago. They were still beautiful. And as if she heard these thoughts, between the half gasp and croaking, she let show one last smile before nothing. Her breathing stopped and she passed. Sometime it passed, as he assumed, as he'd passed out himself and regained his ability to move when he woke. He looked down at the body which can none of the personality and liveliness it had earlier the evening. He looked up and around, then seeing no one near, 
and no signs that anyone had been, he scooted her body towards the water and let the current pull her in. Walking back to his car, he remembered how he was at the grocery store earlier that week and saw a woman had dropped her purse and he chased after her, trying to be a good Samaritan. When he caught up, she turned and his heart stopped because the woman looked like his ex. She graciously taken the purse, but fumbling dropped the pen and some makeup to the ground. And when Brandon reached for it, she looked at him and said, keep it, a little treasure for my hero, before turning with a smile and walking away. As he put his keys in the ignition, he thought of the news briefings about the recent missing persons. And for a moment, he thought about the possibly lives he may have saved of his treasure that night, all because he gave a woman back her purse. And he felt sad. He felt lonely, confused, nauseous. He felt like he needed to go home and take a shower and cry. But he didn't feel anything like a hero. Poor Brandon. We've all been there though, right? I mean, I know I've had some really awful riverfront dates in my past. <sighs> anyway, not to dwell too much there, but more so on the subject matter. You think Brandon's gonna be okay? Are any of us really okay? Especially after, you know, finding out the person you were interested in or maybe you kind of liked or maybe just someone you thought was interesting enough to spend an evening with just really wasn't the person you thought they were. Although, that raises an interesting question, something I feel like I kind of touched on last week, is whose fault is that really? People are people, people are going to be who they are, but did you project those thoughts on that person and that's why you're so disappointed, or did this person make themselves up to be someone else? I have that phrase, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, fool me thrice, I'm a fool. Being fooled, really, really pulling that wool over someone's eyes, having that wool pulled takes a certain amount of belief, right? Like, if you're cynical, misanthropic, pessimistic, you know, you, you, you expect the worst, you see the worst, regardless of what's shown anyway, right? So in order to have seen any sort of good, some of that good had to be there to begin with, right? No one's all bad. Either that or it has to be something you really wanted to see for you to see it where it wasn't, right? Now that's scary. Because when you think about that, and... Just in the story alone, the level of loneliness you have to feel to create a reality that doesn't exist, a personality that isn't there, a whole individual, or maybe there were signs that things just weren't what they seemed like they were going to be. It's kind of sad, it is a bit of a downer, but it's something that we all do, right? How many times have we been in line at, say, like, a Dunkin' Donuts and 
our barista was just really nice. And so we go, man, that person was nice. Because they smiled or they told us not to worry about the change or just their general demeanor. Completely unaware that that could all be a lie. Or not even just a lie. Maybe they are nice. Maybe they are a nice barista. But an awful lover. A horrible person. A terrible humanitarian. But they are a nice barista. See, as people, we wear many hats and we wear many masks. And some of them fit better than others. Some people, like... Jerry Maguire said about himself, famous. if you haven't seen Jerry Maguire, you should, because that's just all-time classic, one of the greatest films of all time. Tom Cruise, Cuba Jr., Renee Zellweger, still their best roles, till this day, fight me, if you dare. Um, but like he said, great at friendship, bad at relationships. Maybe some of us just are built in ways to where we don't embody everything that we could, and that's not a bad thing, there's nothing wrong with that. There are so many people in your life from the moment you take your first breath and open your eyes. You surely cannot have the expectation of yourself even that you can be everything for every single person in your life. And it is unfair of you or anyone to expect that of you. You cannot be kind and caring and empathetic at all times, towards every soul that crosses your path, every moment, you can simply try your best. I think the best that you can do in earnest is to not go out of your way to be an asshole. I think if you generally just live your life without trying to make anyone else as horrible, you're doing okay. And if you have the energy or the spoons, the capability, to maybe, without harming or hurting yourself, make someone else's life a little better. You're a fucking superhero. And hey, if no one says this to you, I fucking believe in you. I think that's great. I think your cape is clean and it looks majestic blowing in the wind. <laughs> On that note, I again want to thank you all for tuning in to this week's episode. It's fantastic. I love doing this, and I cannot do it without all of you. And so, join me next week for another episode of D.L. Holmes Presents. And until then, erotic nightmares.